Out of the bulb comes a what? A flower. And maybe some of us have really felt like this, like we're just the bulb waiting to be able to spring forth again. And the hymn of promises talks all about that. In the seed there is an apple tree. In the cocoon a butterfly longing to be free. So if you still have it and it just sits around with you and you're wondering why you had it at home, and if you want more of them, there's plenty of bags you can pull those out of. You can see some really pretty daffodils. I've picked different colors, and they're probably not ones you have somewhere in your yard. And one daffodil, after a while, can take on pretty good. A couple years, I mean, you'll have quite a few of these little guys running around once you plot it. And you can plant it wherever you want to. There are better times than others, but it's a bulb. You stick it in the ground, cover it with dirt, it'll come up. So I did want to make mention of that. Six inches, Shelley says. Thank you. Six inches deep. Right. Thank you. I appreciate that. So on Easter Sunday, Mary was in the garden, like we talked about, and she was asked, who are you looking for? And thinking that Jesus was the gardener and couldn't recognize him, remember Crato, say Crato. Crato, you're word from last week, wanted to know where they had taken her Lord. And then he revealed himself to her. And that was just a week ago. Hard to believe. And there is a question for us now, post-Easter, as we try to understand what we're supposed to do with the resurrection now that it has happened, and we remember it once again. And that question is how Gary Chapman, the author of The Five Love Languages, started Seen, Known, Loved. It's just this little book, lots of great stories in it. Nice little read if you want to pick it up. The question is, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? Most of us are looking for more out of life than we have now. We're looking for meaning, purpose. We want to know what we do has value. We want to be connected to one another and to do that work together. We want to make our corner of the world or even the whole world a better place. And he sums it up by saying that we all want to love and be loved. That's one of our deepest emotional needs is the, the need to feel loved. To feel that someone values me as a person, even when I don't meet all of their expectations. And that some of us, maybe many of us, have discovered our love language. Maybe you did that years ago, you know, when it came out and it was really popular, or maybe you still remember it. And maybe that of our family. I mean, Gary Chapman's written a dozen books probably by now. There are, there's a whole series of this. We're not going to spend a lot of time going deep into them, but there's plenty of opportunity for those of you who like to go deeper to go as deep as you want to. You can go in the links in your U version. You can go to Five Love Languages, type it in. You'll see a whole website. There's all kinds of things you can do, plenty of opportunities to be able to go deeply into that. But for a brief overview to share the idea or refresh it in your mind, there are five love languages. Go ahead, Brian. Thanks. The first one is physical touch. Say that, physical touch. Words of affirmation. 
Receiving gifts. Acts of service. And quality time. Those are the five. And out of those five, each one of us has a primary love language. Meaning that one of them speaks more deeply to us than the other four. Although they might be close together, and so you have to kind of consider that too. When you take the, the discover quiz kind of thing, you might find you have two that are very close. My primary and my next closest are only a couple percentages away. And then there are other ones that are way down there at the bottom of the pack. It would be helpful if, if you want to do this, to take it, over the next six weeks sometimes. No yours too. It would be helpful for you. Many people have told me that you know this has really been impactful in their life over the years. You can discover or rediscover it all at the links provided last night in the email or in the version. It's not very long. They could quickly figure out what yours is. Even if you don't take the quiz, I think if you listen over the next several weeks, you're going to figure out your love language anyways. It's not rocket science. And yet it is. Because if it, was, if it wasn't rocket science, we'd all do it. But how many times do we forget? People around us don't receive and give love in the same ways. And the reason to know your love language is so that you can discover and speak the love language of others who are close to you. When we're speaking each other's love languages, something amazing can happen. We thrive. We're fulfilled. Our relationships are healthy. 30 million people, including thousands of married couples, have said this simple concept saved their marriage. I just heard that from someone I shared the sermon series with who said this was so impactful for us. Parents have understood their teens and their children better. There are both children ones and there are teens. And I can tell you they were instrumental in understanding better. There are all kinds of books, including for the workplace. To have a better workplace relationship, relationship strengthened. Their dating relationships are enhanced. There are books for men. But all this is about our relationship with each other. That while that is the important, it isn't really the most important relationship in our life, now is it? The most important relationship in our life is, of course, with who? God. God, this relationship. Love languages, for what we've learned from most of it, is this. Love our neighbor, love ourselves. But this is, the, this is the vertical relationship. And if God is our most important relationship, then that got me to think about the whole idea. Of what we're supposed to learn from his death on a cross and rising from the grave and the quintessential verse of John 3.16 that God sent His beloved Son. Beloved Son into the world. And the Son, Jesus made it clear the greatest commandment was over and over, right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. You shall love your neighbors. You shall love yourself. We like to forget that one a lot. It's real hard to love your neighbors or love God if you don't love yourself. And believe me, in my life, I've struggled with that. Low self-esteem is a hard thing to overcome. I love the You Say song because you believe in me. I belong. You think I'm strong when I feel that I'm weak. And yet in this world, there's so much hate and condemnation 
even from 70% of the population that calls itself Christian in America. And even though many of those are what we call cultural Christians, if you saw the stat about 50% or less go to church, I wouldn't let that scare you. The early church didn't go to church. They were gathered in houses and only started going to church when Constantine made Christianity the state religion, which didn't really help it to live into its promises. And so we're basically just going back into a place of where those who truly believe will be a part of the community. And those who just went because they're supposed to will eventually stop. But you would think that of the committed Christians, the percentage would be higher who would pour out that love that was poured out for them on the cross. Well, maybe, just maybe, it is because we don't really know God's love languages to us. That we really don't understand that God's very nature is love. And that when God pours out that love through God's love languages, all five, of course, into our hearts and meets our deepest needs and longing for love, we begin to take that love because we are loved, and then now we're able to take that love out to others. We love why? Because he first loved us. That's what John tells us. John, the once son of thunder, would say when frail and near the end of his life, when the early Christians gathered around him to hear him speak, he would just say this, Love each other, little children. Love one another. And so it was with the disciples, it seems that until our deep need for love is met, we're not likely to become loving people ourselves. And we find that by being in relationship with God first, so that we can be in relationship with each other. I drew you a little diagram, see, to show you exactly how it works. You can't love God if you don't love others. You can't love others if you don't love God. So this whole series is about what we can learn about God through the five love languages that God has given to us. How we connect with God's love and how we can feel God's love. It's a place the disciples found themselves after the resurrection too. What are you looking for? What are we going to do now? They were grieving. They're lost. They're alone. They're brokenhearted. But the one thing we can always count on and make it count on too is that God will meet us where we are. Amen? Our God will meet us where we are. And God speaks in our love language. And you see that in the moment in which Jesus comes to Thomas from John 20, 24, 29. Thomas, the one called Didymus, or the twin, one of the twelve, wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. And the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he replied, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers in the wounds in his side, I won't believe. And after eight days, 
His disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. And even though the doors were locked, Jesus entered and stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hands into my side. No more disbelief. Believe. Now catch, it never says that Thomas did any of this. Thomas responded to Jesus and said, My Lord and my God. And Jesus replied, Do you believe because you see me? Happy are those who don't see and yet believe. God comes and speaks in our love language. Thomas needed to see Jesus, to physically touch Jesus, to be able to move on. And Jesus comes to him and allows him to have that experience in connection even after he's appeared to the other disciples already. Sorry, Thomas, snooze, you lose. And Thomas had a heart hope. One of your fill in the blanks. That is what R. York Moore, who co-wrote Seeing Known Love, calls it. When God is striving to be known to us in a way that radically oriented around our deepest soul longing. That God is trying to speak to us in a way that we can understand. And that we cry out to God through that love language is our heart hope. And Thomas's heart hope was physical touch. Say physical touch. He wanted to know... I belong. I belong. People who experience love through physical touch, if that's your love language, want to know that they belong. Touch for you is how you experience connection and a sense of inner peace that comes from knowing that they are connected to the others that are around them. The heart hope I belong is a cry for deep and meaningful acceptance through Embrace. We feel this heart hope when we collapse into our loved one's arms after a long journey, when we wake up to the kiss or cradle of a spouse or are clung to by our children. To be embraced is to know that we belong. And Thomas wanted to make sure that he still belonged because he wasn't there. You ever ask the question why he wasn't there? I was the only one not there. And there are many times that Jesus uses God's love language, a physical touch, to show his love. Jesus was not a man who went through his life or his ministry physically isolated from those around him. Jesus touched those he came in contact with. He showed his compassion to those around him by physical touch. Matthew 8, 3. Jesus touched the leper. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. The leprosy here is a contagious skin disease. And those of leprosy were on the outside of social life in Jesus' day. No one could touch them and they were cast out of their normal lives. No one touched a leper ever. 
And when approached by someone not infected, the leper had to yell, Unclean! So that there would be no physical contact. Boy, it feels like this the past year, doesn't it? And I can imagine if one had leprosy that you would wish for the days when you could hug someone or kiss someone or have some kind of contact. More and more like this last year, right? We've all felt like lepers. Stuck. Alone. Whenever I think of leprosy, I think of the 1959 movie Ben-Hur. And the character played by Ben-Hur returns home after many, and it's Charlton Heston, of course, after many years and eventually finds that his mother and sister contracted leprosy while in prison and now they live in a leper colony away from everyone else with no contact. This is racy for the 1950s, early 60s. And they ask, they never be told that they are alive and remember them only as their former selves. But as the story unfolds and continues, which is one of the best parts, because in Ben-Hur, Christ is always along, around the edges. If you haven't watched it, you need Christ is always around the edges of the story until here, too. And in here, it, the story unfolds, they are healed by Christ. And the movie illustrates the seriousness of leprosy in Jesus' day, the horrible consequences. You had no more family. And so I can imagine the leper that Jesus meets in Matthew 8 felt unloved, was desperate to be healed so he could go home again. And when the man with leprosy approached Jesus, he not only healed the man, but he touched him. I mean, here's the thing. Jesus was exposing himself to possible disease. Jesus could have spoken the man clean. Jesus could have told him to go wash in the Jordan several, seven times. Jesus could have waved a hand and the man would have been clean. But the Scripture tells us specifically that Jesus touched the man and that he was healed. There is great power in that touch. There is great care in that touch. There is great love in that touch. Or in Matthew 8.15, Jesus touches Peter's mother-in-law and heals her. Or Matthew 7, 32-35, the healing of a man who is deaf and mute. And I want you to notice that in verse 32, the people brought this man to Jesus and they begged Jesus to touch him. They begged Jesus to touch him. Last summer, Susan and I were able to go to the Helen Keller house in Alabama Maybe you've probably seen a movie about Helen Keller called The Miracle Worker. There are several versions of that. Who's ever seen The Miracle Worker? Raise your hand. Let's see how society still does this. Fairly good, fairly good. All the youngsters, nobody's ever seen, ever heard of it. Once again, you guys can't write in cursive either, so it's going to be all right. Right? Who can write in cursive? Raise your hands. Two or three. Yeah, a little iffy on it. Yeah. Listen, I'm, I'm a little iffy on it still, too. I can't make any G's. I can't make no promises to you. Well, anyways, Helen Keller, Helen, Helen Keller was deaf and blind and could not communicate. Her teacher, Ann Sullivan, arrived at the Keller's house in March of 1887. 
Now, I had no idea this was in Alabama until Susan, of course, planned our itinerary. And, you know, this is house in the middle of nowhere. I mean, what's the middle of a city? And immediately she began to teach Helen to communicate by spelling words into her hands. I'm not spelling anything whatsoever. That's completely garbage. It's just... And Helen... So... Helen's, Helen's big breakthrough in communication came through the same year when she realized that the motions her teacher was making in the palm of her hand while running cool water over her other hand symbolized the idea of water. And that was it. She learned every word like in the dictionary basically after that. She became very accomplished, very famous, went around the world and that's the actual pump. It's still there. And there's a statue, a really powerful statue of them doing this. Touch. Touch. Or in Mark 10, 16, Jesus took the children into his arms and put his hands on them. He hugged them. And all of this brings about some important things about touch as well. There is positive touch and there is negative touch. Touch is tricky. We live in a world where we both crave and we cringe at physical touch, especially now, which is why we have our traffic light stickers to be able to negotiate this new world. A friendly hug misinterpreted as something more, even a form of abuse to the receiver. What is meant as a form of welcome can be misconstrued as a violation. Physical touch is riskier than ever to both give and receive, and yet we were made for it. Some of you have discovered that even more so when you could no longer give it or receive it in the same ways during these days. Single people are often not embraced for good. Or the elderly longing for physical touch after the death of their spouse or isolated in nursing homes or assisted livings, which Kim has seen firsthand and broken her heart. Many are dry and thirsty for someone to touch them. This is a bonus, but when I was in seminary, it just came to me. Do you know what the loneliest people were in the hospital? AIDS patients. Elderly AIDS patients. Because no one would touch them. But extending physical touch to others must be done with wisdom. Discernment. Don't allow fear to keep you from showing love in the ways to do it right. Ask for permission. It's always better just to ask for permission. As long as you ask for permission, then you've, you've set the, the ability to be able to then decide. When is the last time you experienced a positive physical touch? Touch is one of the most positive ways we know that we are together and that we belong to one another. If you have this love language from hugs to pats on the back to holding hands, you long to give and get love in this physical way. I expect most of you who have this love language are wearing green stickers because hugs and everything are exactly who you are. Hugging stats. Hugging is an amazing medicine. It transfers energy and gives the person hugging an emotional boost. Someone somewhere said one needs four hugs a day for survival, eight for maintenance, and 12 for growth. 
Four, eight. That's a lot of hugs, isn't it? That's a lot of hugs. Especially for the yellows, right, of the world, right? (laughs) That touching for you shows belonging, caring, concern, love. Positive touch should be built in a sense of security, belonging in relationships. One of the essential ingredients of a life well lived, that's the way it should be. But when touch is negative, it's one of the most frequent ways we harm and are harmed. Whether it's in the form of sexual abuse, which I am sorry that some of you in this room and at home may have had to suffer. Or molestation or physical abuse or physical intimidation like bullying. Touch can be far more associated with harm than being embraced for good. And that is ultimately what God wants for us to be. Embraced for good. It restores our soul. It rescues us from isolation and fear and loneliness and despair. How many of you have longed to be embraced by your mother or your father or someone else after a bad dream or something hurtful happened when you're growing up? Something scared you. In my family growing up, honestly, there wasn't a lot of touch. There was love, but not physical touch. More of a northern thing, maybe. Or the way my parents also grew up, I don't know. Not a lot of hugging. Sometimes something I tried to make sure that Hannah always had growing up because of it. And physical touch is definitely one of her two love languages, and she would tell you that in about five seconds. Of course, you could be around for five seconds, you figure it out too. The great news is, though, is that no matter what our experience with touch has been, whether we've been harmed or we're longing for more, there's a kind of touch and embrace that we can experience from God that fills us up, that makes us know, just like Thomas and those lepers, that we belong, that we belong to someone, that we belong to Jesus above everything else. That God is always showing up and allowing us to feel God's love in new ways. There are places like in Jeremiah where God's people were in a desperate place. They were in a crisis at the end of a war. They were losing, just about to be captured, taken away to a strange land. They needed to know down deep that God loved them. Do you need to know down deep that God loves you somewhere? Is there some place left in your life where you just haven't heard that yet? That you just don't know it? That it's not a part of who you are in your soul? Then hear these words. They want to know they still belong to Him. And at the deepest, darkest time, they remembered this. I have loved you with a love that lasts forever. And so with unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. Again, I will build you up. And God reminds them that they have always been loved in a special everlasting way. And that God has drawn them near, which literally means to be led by embrace. And that's what Gary and York mean to be embraced for good. It's like a hug from God at the right moment. In your life right now, whether you know it or not, you are being hugged by God. That God is hugging you, holding you tight, embracing you for good, and leading you with a never-failing kindness. Amen? That you are receiving that kind of love. 
I will gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them will be the blind, the disabled, the expectant mothers and those in labor. And a great throng will return here with tears of joy. They will come. And while they pray, I will bring them back. I will lead them by quiet streams and on smooth paths so they do not stumble. Touch. Lead. And so God promises to lead us by embracing us, particularly when we need it the most. Maybe that's where you are right now. You need it the most. It's a moment in your life when you need to know that God's embrace is there and present for you, just like Thomas's moment. And God lets us know that God will be there for those who need it the most, the hurting, the helpless people, that you are not forgotten, that you belong, that you are embraced by God. And when we know that we belong and that we are embraced by God, then we can show that same kind of love to all those around us, just like the disciples did when they left that upper room after Easter. Because remember, they go out into the world and suffer all kinds of things and go through all kinds of places, and yet they're still guided by love. Where do you think they got that? From Jesus. They finally grasped the lessons that He had taught them over those 50 days that He's with them and showing up. May we still have that same ability to grab those lessons ourselves and to know those after this Easter season and to be ready. So here's some practical things. What do we do when we're embraced by God? Well, Thomas returned to community and was in a place to be touched by God. That's why it happens. Jesus didn't appear to Thomas somewhere out there. When he came back, Jesus came back to be present with him. And we can touch and be touched by God as we are embraced and embraced back. And we do that through what we call worship. More powerful than being held by physical arms, worship is is the embrace of God felt deeply, you see. And when we worship Him. And so worship is the number one way we can experience physical touch from the invisible God. If you want to think about it in these terms, it's how we hug back. Think about it when you're, when you're praising and think about it when you're singing and when you're praying and when you're listening to the Word in every part of the service. Think about how God is looking at us and going, wow, that's pretty amazing. When we lift our voices up and we join in, when we talk to one another, when we're, when we're just think about it if, it if it was your kids and watching your kids or your family gathering together and getting along and enjoying being together. It's like hugging God back. And that's how people in Jeremiah's story responded back to God too. So if touch is your love language, you might find these things to be helpful. Prayer shawls. I have a prayer shawl that I have at home and I have a quilt from Miss Janice and I have these items in my life that help me to remember when I need to be wrapped up. The palm crosses that were made. Labyrinths. Big and small. I think our big one is coming sometime outside. Maybe. <laughs> or small ones you can do in your finger. Sacraments. Anointing oil. 
they really speak to you about God's love for you. And through embracing, experiencing the embrace of God, we can move from a sense of isolation to a sense of belonging. So my friends, all of you, we just need to remember that we belong and that we are indeed embraced by God.
into our everyday world and serve the Lord. May we rejoice in the good news we have heard and may God's blessings of love continue to pour into our hearts this day, always and through us to others. And Lord, make us a blessing to all whom we meet. Give us faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. For you and for all those around us, you gave us to love. May we help each other know that we belong and that we all may be embraced by God. Everybody both here and at home said, Amen.